This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. I just enjoy watching great golf and it means so much to see someone like this handle himself this way and hard to believe 21 years old. There it is, a win for the ages. So there we have it, 1997, young man, and he was young, 21 years old, as you just heard, Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Let's continue our conversation about golf, about Masters Week, because as we heard from Billy Andrade, the history is amazing. It's also complicated, and that is the subject of a fantastic must-read story by our Atlanta Bureau Chief down in Atlanta, Brett Pulley. He joins us now from the ATL at Brett. I mean, this story, we all read it perfectly timed, perfectly toned. Um, Help us understand Augusta and the Masters in the context of the world we're living in here in 2021. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think Augusta is, and the Masters, it's, it's, it's a place and a tournament that's best understood um, through money, power, and race. Uh, and all three are, are so, you know, integrally, so, so, so intertwined uh, in the club. And, uh, you know, and because of that, because of the enormous power uh, that the very exclusive membership holds, you know, probably the hardest, probably the toughest private club in the world to get into just about. I mean, the legend has it that, you know, grown CEOs have cried when they received their invitation. And so there's tremendous power. You know, you talk about names like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Condoleezza Rice. I mean, uh, you know, uh, some of the world's most powerful people are members there. And they've wielded this tremendous power, uh, you know, for almost 90 years uh, since the club's founding. And at the same time, um, uh, segregation uh, was so much a part uh, of the club, of the city's past. Um, and, uh, you know, as you, you just, your clip just indicated the first African-American golfer to win, of course, was Tiger Woods in 97. First African-American golfer to play was Lee Elder uh, in 1975. And uh, Cliff Roberts, who the Wall Street banker, who was a co-founder along with Bobby Jones of Augusta and built the club and built the tournament, you know, famously said at that time that as long as I'm alive, all caddies will be black and all golfers will be white. Mm. Uh, and uh, 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 as time passed on, uh, Roberts himself passed in 77. And, of course, uh, that was two years after Lee Elder made his debut there. 
Uh, but, you know, the other thing that's so interesting, it's just also complex, is at the same time, you know, there was a time when, you know, there were natives of Augusta. Augusta is a city that's, you know, 60% African-American and is, is other than the golf tournament, is famous as a home of none other than soul brother number one, James Brown. Right. Um, and, um, you know, those caddies were all black at Augusta. And when the pros showed up to play in the Masters, they could not bring their own caddies. They, the rules uh, uh, stipulated that you used Augusta's caddies. And these guys had deep knowledge of the course, of co- you know, of course, and um, uh, deep local understanding, um, et cetera. But, you know, those rules changed as golf purses got much larger and at the same time the purses for caddies got much larger. Right. And so now today we see basically all white caddies who fly in from all over the world to, you know, to caddy for their respective golfers. So it's, you know, it's an extremely sort of complex place when you put race and power and stuff together at the same time. Uh, you know, the club uh, admitted its first African-American member um, in 1990, so that hasn't been very long ago. And since then, there are about oh, nine or ten African-American right. members, including Condoleezza Rice. And, you know, and then we have this confluence of events in the last year, right? You know, we have this global pandemic, which impacts us all. We have the social unrest following the killing of George Floyd. And in recent weeks, we've had this uh, Georgia leg- voting legislation passed, which has garnered uh, uh, a lot of attention and a lot of criticism. And, you know, and all these things together put the very powerful people uh, of Augusta National uh, right back in the spotlight. Right. That person you mentioned, that was the first black member in 1990, Ron Townsend. And yes. I, I remember that when that story came out. And like you said, there's only nine more or nine right now uh, black members at Augusta National today. What is it going to take for Augusta National to get out of the past? Because if you think about it, what you just said earlier about the the comment about the caddies are going to be black and the players are going to be white, that was really only about 40 years ago. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that long ago. So what is it going to take to expand to that? Well, you know, one of the things about Augusta National, um, and it's part of the mystique, is that there is clearly an, an um, insistence on the part of the members of not being dictated to in any way. It's kind of, uh, you know, for, for the, the world's elite, it's kind of the haven uh, uh, or a haven for that. And, you know, we see that play out in all kinds of ways. You know, when they were under pressure to admit their first uh, women members, um, there was the threat of boycotts against the sponsors of the tournament. Well, what they did, because, again, they're so, uh, so powerful and so wealthy, is they broadcast the tournament without sponsors and uh, to protect their sponsors so that the sponsors could avoid controversy. Now, of course, ultimately, they did uh, the right thing and admitted, uh, admitted Condoleezza Rice. And I want to say Jenny uh, uh, Romady, at, uh, the former That's CEO right. at IBM at that time, who's currently a member also. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Look, Lee Elder, 
was the honorary starter. And as you guys know, uh, the honorary starters for a number of years have been, you know, the, the great three, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and uh, the late Arnold Palmer. Uh, the last couple of years, or the last few years, I think it's been uh, just the two, Nicholas and Player. Um, but uh, uh, Wendell Haskins, an executive who was an executive at uh, the PGA for a number of years, had been uh, really pushing behind the scenes to have Lee Elder uh, come as an honorary starter. He was never a champion like the others, but because he was such a pioneer and such a trailblazer. And so that's something he's been lobbying for for a number of years. Uh, and so in the, in the uh, wake of the George Floyd uh, social unrest, the club did indeed uh, announce uh, a few months back that Lee would be the honorary starter, and he did so. But the point of that story is that Wendell, who worked for so long to make this happen, received no credit for it and didn't even get an invitation to come see the ceremony. So, you know, it's, it's just, it just kind of it just underscores just how fervently uh, they hold on uh, to independence and the ability to make uh, decisions on their own. So all of that to say, you know, we've seen, I think, the club go kind of kicking and screaming into the future, right? And that's probably what we will continue to see to some extent. Fred, how has... Augusta National been able to just erect basically an invisible force field on the perimeter of this of this club to insulate themselves from what's really happening in the real world for so long. Well, it really is. It, it really is uh, amazing. And it and again, it really underscores the kind of power and influence that they have. Look, I talk to people in the city of Augusta and to a person, people kind of love it. They love Augusta National because they have been very generous uh, to the city, um, um, and they have the ability to be so. Uh, earlier this year, uh, the club donated, I want to say, a million dollars uh, for uh, um, coronavirus vaccine, uh, vaccine distribution. Uh, so those kinds of things, um, you know, of course, buy them tremendous uh, influence and power um, they're in, in, in the city. And, you know, they've expanded. And when they've expanded their own property, they've done things like improved the public property at the same time, the city's property. So, you know, it's the largesse. And, uh, and, and let us not forget that, you know, I call this the, this week uh, the mean green season. Right. This is a season when so many people who are natives of Augusta or residents of Augusta, they earn substantial income. You know, I mean, there are a number of people who, of course, you know, they, they're they're waiting tables, they're bartending, they're doing all these things and making, you know, some pretty good money over a one to two week period. There are people who are renting their homes out. I mean, my goodness, there are people who are earning uh, who are getting uh uh, enough money from a couple of weeks of renting their home out to cover their mortgage for three, four, or five months. So there's a, there is a, a, a lot of uh, appreciation uh, for the fact that this event happens to take place in Augusta. You know, it's like, you know, a couple people have said to me, it's tantamount to landing the Super Bowl and landing it every year, year after year. 
You know, the mayor said, you know, he said, we don't have uh, major sports stadiums. You know, we don't have uh, professional sports teams, but we have this thing that takes place every year. And the entire world knows about it and wants to be a part of it. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, there's, there's tremendous value in that, uh, clearly, uh, for the city uh, and for its residents. So, Brett, you know, tie this to, to what we have seen in Georgia over the past few months and the, the past few weeks, because the NBA, obviously, and the WNBA and the local teams have had a very strong voice. Major League Baseball just last week said, we're not coming to Atlanta for the All-Star Game or suburban Atlanta for the All-Star Game. This is all kind of coming to a head in many ways. So tie it all together for us. Yeah, it's interesting. It it is kind of coming to a head, and it's interesting how um, uh, Augusta National and its members are kind of, uh, to to some extent, able to to shield themselves from it. Mm-hmm. Look, we're talking about members who are executives at many of the companies, uh, certainly some of the companies, that have uh, made statements in the last week about the voting legislation, right? Uh, American Express made statements. Ken Chenault himself made a statement, the former CEO of American Express. And Coca-Cola has made, a sta- uh, has made statements, et cetera. So many many companies have who are associated with with the tournament but you know unlike so many other sports i think the other thing that makes a big big difference here is the players right and um you know look rob manfred the commissioner of major league baseball made the decision he was the official who made the decision to move the game from atlanta but make no doubt, make no mistake about it, the players were very active in the background in lobbying to move the game. Uh, you know, right? The, and by uh, by some accounts, you had star players. I believe Mookie Betts, former Red Sox, now uh, now L.A. Dodger, basically were were told, said behind the scenes, "I'm not going." So yes. if this game stays in Atlanta, you will not have me a clear All Star in that game. Yes, yes, that's right. And I think there, therein lies a bit of the difference. I mean, I think it's a combination of the power that Augusta National has, but it's also the, uh, the slowness mm-hmm. with which professional golfers uh, respond to social issues. I was reading this article, and it brought back so many memories. Uh, my mother is from Augusta, Georgia, and every year we would go down for the summer vacation down in Augusta, Georgia. And you had mentioned about the, the mayor of Augusta talking about not only, of course, the, the tournament, but many other aspects. Fort Gordon is there. Yes. And it's it's a military site that uh, has benefited Augusta for years. And as you mentioned, uh, James Brown came from there. Augusta yes. has always been a thriving place. And, it, of course, yes, the, the tournament is a moneymaker, but it's always been a place that, that has been rich in history. Yes, that's for sure. Well, look, if, if people don't know anything else about Augusta, so many people know James Brown's lyrics, right, from, from there was a time when he says down there, we have a good time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows that line. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, 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 yes, the mayor uh, was emphatic about the fact that 
uh, there are other things that are driving the economy. Economy, and as you pointed out, Fort Gordon apparently uh, in recent years has received uh, signif- has become a significant uh, player in cybersecurity, and that's created uh, tremendous jobs. There's a, apparently a, you know a very large and, and thriving uh, uh, medical. Uh, um, industry complex there. So there's no doubt it, it is a place that does well. Uh, but as the mayor also points out, this thing that they have every year, this tournament that attracts the world is like this great icing on the cake. And or as uh, the uh, president of the Convention and Visitors Bureau, a guy named Benish Brown said, he said, you know, we call the Masters the 13th month. Uh, because that's how much it means to the economy, uh, the local economy. Uh, so, um, so it is an extraordinary place. And and look, Ben, uh, the former uh, Fed chairman, uh, Ben Bernanke is from Augusta. The great uh, opera singer Jesse Norman, uh, the actor Lawrence Fishburne, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it is a uh, a, a very nice place made uh, iconic place by uh, a golf course and a golf tournament. Brett, I'm looking at the uh, video of the uh, teeing off. Gary Player, um, Jack Nicholas, Lee Elder here. And I just froze the picture right here and I read a little bit of the story. So I'm counting in the front row, right behind the ropes, one, two, three, four, eleven. African-Americans, and I read the story that most of them are club professionals. PGA who, pros, yeah. PGA pros, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm just a little conflicted here watching this. Is, is this a sincere move by the club? Are they just props for this, you know, photo opportunity? Will they be allowed to stay on the grounds, have lunch, stay for yeah. all four days of the tournament? And I, I'm just, you know, as a white guy, I'm sitting here, and, and I, I, my stomach is turning here. I don't know if this is sincere or if this is just if these people are just being used for this photo opportunity. Yeah, I tell you, you know, what a shame it would be if those club pros uh, could not stay the entire time. Yeah. After getting, it's my understanding, look, there are about, there are over 2,000 uh, PGA members, those pros who are all around, you know, and these are people who, you know, run our country clubs and different facilities and stuff uh, around the country. And, uh, and it's my understanding, I want to say it's like, maybe 150 to 200 who are African-American, maybe about 10% somewhere in that neighborhood. And so I don't know how they selected. I thought I had heard that 10 to 12 would be there. I have not seen that video, uh, but I knew they were planning to uh, have them there as part of the ceremony. And, look, it's great for them, um, you know, Look, as a golfer, I can comfortably say that pretty much anyone uh, who, who plays a game or has an affection, affection for the game or is associated with the game um, would like to would like to be at the Masters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we know that uh, you know that those gentlemen would like to be there as well. So I would uh, I would certainly hope that it's a, it's a wonderful experience for them and a fulfilling experience. So, Brett, just as we wrap up here, we cannot have this conversation, and, and your story touches on this uh, really nicely, w- without talking about Tiger Woods. We, we started this conversation with that you know, historic clip of him winning back in, in 1997. One of the inherent conflicts here is that the biggest star in 
the certainly the modern history of the game, the recent modern history of the game, mm-hmm. and clearly very good for the business of golf and more specifically the business of the Masters because it is the Masters is a black man in, in mm-hmm. Tiger Woods. Obviously, he's not there this year, uh, given that uh, he is injured from from that car crash. But help us understand that complicated relationship, because anybody who watched the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO saw that very uncomfortable press conference with oh, Billy Payne oh. um, talking mm-hmm. about that. I mean, you're, you, ju- you watch it, and we talked about it on this show, and your jaw drops being reminded of how, you know, these – this whole series, and I'll say it, of old white men set up on that day as clearly judging um, this young black man. It's just not any more complicated than that. Talk to us about Tiger. Yeah, that uh, that press conference is just um, it's just uh, it's 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 difficult to watch because um, you know it's like this self-righteous mm-hmm. sort of uh, um, uh, um, attempt to, to like punish this guy for, you know, not, not uh, living up to something that, you know, this some like false perception that, uh, that Billy Payne is, is, is putting forth and it just um, it just pains you to watch, and you have to wonder how Tiger, now being you know uh, older and more mature, feels about it. But look, race has always been complicated at Augusta, even as it relates to Tiger. I mean, just go back to the first year he won, and then the comment—I think it was Fuzzy Zeller, was it—who made the comment about the Champions Dinner and would Tiger serve? Uh, fried chicken. Look, part of it is look. This is golf, and these guys, these guys hit 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 a golf ball really well and play the game really well. But um, you know, and so we have to. Um, I, I think things like that remind us of. Um, in some cases, it doesn't go uh, much farther than that. Uh, we, 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 we admire them and love the fact that they are so extraordinarily good at it because we know how extraordinarily difficult it is. Uh, but when it comes to some of these bigger issues, it's when it gets complicated. And that's why it gets complicated for Augusta, especially because it is a place that's populated by, that's owned by, that is run by people with whom so much is expected of. Um, And so that's why, you know, try as much as they would like to avoid wading in the controversy. Uh, They really can't. They can't avoid it. Um, So, um, so, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's like kind of increasingly baked into, uh, into uh, Augusta Nationals DNA uh, that this kind of stuff finds its way there. But again, you know, look, amazingly, they are uh, very, very good at, uh, at deflecting it. And, um, uh, you know, the current chairman, uh, Ridley, uh, comments, made comments yesterday about the Georgia legislation. They were very innocuous and, you know, made it clear that, you know, they're for, any, for supporting voting rights. And, you know, they recognize that it's a 
pretty partisan issue, and so they don't they don't wade into that at all, you know. And they're very good at um, at um, kind of um, making sure all messaging goes through the chairman. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, look, these are skilled skilled CEOs and executives, and that's why. And you ask almost anyone this week, and they will invariably say. Talk to the chairman now. The chairman's not going to respond to you, but he'll talk when he's ready to talk. Uh, so they're very good at that. Like someone said to me a couple of days ago, they said, look, it's like Fight Club. They said, what's the first rule of Fight Club? Right? Don't tell anyone about Fight Club. Don't talk about <laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> and exactly. and uh, they, they kind of operate like that at Augusta National. Well, Brett, listen, this has been an absolute joy to talk to you. Uh, as anyone who knows me knows, I, I just have the utmost respect for you as a journalist. Uh, love that you're running the Atlanta Bureau for Bloomberg. And uh, just keep up the great work, you and your team. And this is an absolute must-read to understand this intersection, as you say, of money, race, power, and, and so much more. And, of course, sports. It is Masters Week, but we can't forget yes. all these other issues uh, that are going on. So our thanks to you. We know it's a busy day, especially uh, as you talk about this story, uh, and, and rightly a lot. So thanks so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. So, guys, I loved that combination of talking to Billy Andrade and Brett Pulley, both down in Atlanta, uh, you know, not far from Augusta in all eyes, as they should be in the sports world or in Augusta. But, you know, as always, too, it's a lot about the golf, but it's not totally uh, about it. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, hearing from Brett, who is our Atlanta bureau chief and spent some time reporting out this piece in Augusta, understanding this intersection of all of these things just fascinating and i can't recommend that story enough just listening to brett and it it brings back so many memories that i think about with augusta my mom's hometown is augusta georgia and obviously the tournament was something big and i remember that he brought up that topic about uh back uh, years ago when one of the founders of the uh, uh, Augusta, Cliff Roberts, mm. and he made that infamous uh, quote: "As long as I'm alive, all golfers will be white, and all the caddies will be black." And my parents would always tell me about that quote, and I and just I didn't understand back then why what what is going on here, but that's just the way Augusta was, and hopefully uh, it can expand out of that. And Lynchy. You know, as I synthesize these two conversations, and, and for those of you who who are listening, you can actually hear the full conversations with each of them uh, on the podcast, and, and I would highly recommend it because cause we spent a lot of time with both of these guys. You know, the thing that you come away with, or at least I came away with, is there's golf, there's golf tournaments, there's majors, and then there's the Masters, above all of it. Um, and... The power that is concentrated, the power it has with the players, the power it has with its members is just tremendous. Well, as Brett said uh, so very, very well, that Augusta National and particularly their chairman, Fred Ridley, are very, very good at deflecting any type of controversy and any type of tough questions. And that there's one voice that speaks on behalf of the members and all messaging has to go through the chairman. And that hasn't changed since Clifford Roberts uh, helped found this club back in 19, in the 1930s. Um, 
Here they are in the state of Georgia, where there's just a swirl of controversy going around. And you might as well think they could be on the North Pole. They couldn't be any far away from it geographically, socially, or mentally. Now, they did have um, Lee Elder. A uh, poor guy. He's got uh, an oxygen tank he's carrying around with him. But he did stand up today and got a rousing ovation in the, uh, from the crowd that's there. But I'd like to say you've come a long way, baby, but they haven't. No. They absolutely yeah. have not. And, you know, and, and even talking to, to Billy Andrade about, you know, the process of being there and how strict the rules are, and, you know, whether you're a player or a yeah. broadcaster or, or whatever it is, it's just a reminder that it's a different sort of place. And, and I do think from a business perspective, it is fascinating how these are literally the most powerful leaders in the world, mostly men, mostly white men who are members of this club. And yet they are able to, even if they are making statements in their day jobs, running companies or running, you know, massive investment funds or whatever it is, Augusta and, and Augusta National are sacrosanct. And, uh, and, and they managed to, to sort of maneuver their way through, as Brett Pulley uh, so, so nicely said. So uh, can't recommend enough uh, both those conversations in full uh, and also Brett's story on the Bloomberg. Well, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>